Welcome to this edition of Your Care, Your Rights, Your Voice. I'm Maureen Painter, the State Long-Term Care Ombudsman here in Connecticut, and I am so fortunate to be joined again by Cinnamon St. John. So hi, Cinnamon. Hi, Maureen. Long time no chat. Hello, <laughs> how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. And and for those of you who don't know me, I'm Cinnamon St. John. I'm the Chiplin uh, Medicare and Health Policy Fellow at the Center for Medicare Advocacy. And we are a national nonprofit law organization that works to advance access to comprehensive Medicare coverage and quality health care for people on Medicare. So, and, and thank you. And so we are so fortunate here in Connecticut that the center happens to be here in Connecticut, but they do work with individuals from um, across the country. Absolutely. And we have developed a great partnership in our ability to work with the center and really promote residents' rights. I think that's the goal of everyone who works um, within the two programs. And so we're here today to talk about, actually continue the conversation. So we've had a couple of conversations over the past month, month and a half related to legislation, what we were seeing, it started with Build Back Better, right? And what we thought might be coming. We went into what to expect this year. And I don't know that I would have um, expected what we got, especially from the White House, from Biden's um Yeah, I don't think any, I don't think any of us truly <laughs> expected what we saw. There was, you know, this fact sheet that came out and it was seven pages of glorious reforms. And, you know, basically, this is every advocate's dream. Um, It is truly remarkable. I was actually going to say that this is what I, these are the the changes that I've dreamt about that we talk about, gosh, I wish we could just have some real reform, some actual national standards for staffing. I mean, and it was almost like it was darkest before the dawn, because if you, if we go back to what was happening with Build Back Better. You know, when the House released the language around the bill, it was great because it said, let's have a study and figure out what the what the staffing, minimum staffing should be. And then let's have CMS implement these into regulations. But then when it was sent over to the Senate side, And the Senate language, they took out the implementation portion. So, you know, towards the end of 2021, it really, it ended with this note of, well, let's just have another study. And and having a study for staff ratios is really important. The last one we had was over 20 years ago. So there's this golden standard of 4.1 hours of direct care uh, per resident per day. And you know, a lot of people call that the gold standard, and I call it the old standard because it's two <laughs> it decades the old. old. Standard. It yes. is the old standard, the old and standard. you know, over twenty years, people are getting you know they're living longer, but they're also getting sicker. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think you know that that standard holds true you know anymore. But this, but now the Biden administration they've released this portion where they're putting it back. You know, they're saying, let's do a study, you know, let's CMS do a study and figure out what the needs are. And then within a year, let's implement those needs. And that is just one of many, many things they're doing. So it's shocking. So talk to me a little bit about this, because in Connecticut, my understanding is last year, they raised the the minimum staff hours from 1.9 to three hours per resident. Is that correct? That is correct. And yeah, that is going into effect. And we know that the majority of our homes here were staffing above the three hours a day. 
but not everybody, and definitely not during this most challenging time with staffing. So that's why it can't be a, a nicety. It can't be mm-hmm. a we'll do it if we can. It has to be an expectation. Um, and to your point of it's 20 years old, I haven't worked in long-term care in 18 years. And I will tell you that the individuals receiving care and choosing to be in nursing homes, it's a different individual, different resident. Uh, Many individuals are waiting longer. They're spending more time in the community. They have higher care needs. And so the expectation is that they're going to need more staff, right? So if you have someone who's maybe spent more time in the community, they've been able to be supported, which is awesome, right? They've been able to be supported at a lower level of care or a less restrictive environment. When they make that choice to go to a nursing home, it's usually because they have a higher care need or there's something that can't be met in the community. So in my head, that would mean pretty easily without doing a study myself, and I have not done one, (laughs) that these individuals would need more care a day, not less. So I think getting the study done and actually having a goal of a year and saying that we are going to see changes is incredible. Um, That was huge for us, as well as ensuring that the taxpayer dollars going towards this care. And we know that um, nursing homes, our long-term care settings are primarily funded through taxpayer dollars. And we need that accountability there, right? We we hear about profit margins. We hear about um, the stability of nursing homes being able to profit and, and, and do well. And I get that, right? We want healthy buildings, but how do you get a healthy building? And I think we need to really start seeing nursing home residents as customers. And customers go where they're happy, um, where they feel respected, and where they feel they're getting value for their dollar. And as we start to see the pressure change, where I think in the past, um, the nursing homes held a lot of those cards as, you know, you should come to us for these reasons, Now the client holds a lot of cards and CMS has done a good job about getting access to information out there as far as quality standards in nursing homes, which homes have had which findings. I know they've worked to do the star ratings now that surveys are happening again and readily keeping that pressure on making sure that the surveys have high standards and that that information is easily accessible to the general public. You know what I thought was interesting is going into the pandemic, obviously we know that the nursing home industry, that there were a lot of problems that already existed. And COVID-19 exacerbated those issues, you know, and really created this earthquake that just, you know, decimated the population and, and the staff as well. And one of the challenges around this problem was that it was a multi lever problem, right? There were so many issues, challenges that went into creating this problem. It was hard to kind of unravel the web or and figure out like, how do we create the solutions, right? Because actually you needed many levers. And the Biden administration proposal goes through mm-hmm. and, and pulls those various levers. I mean, what you're talking about is like, increasing transparency to create a database of nursing home owners and operators. You know, one of those issues that we've always been looking at is who owns these nursing homes? Because it is so complicated to to really 
figure that out because it's almost a shell game. You know, one company owns another company or, mm-hmm. you know, they have different names, you know, for each company that this parent company owns. Examining private equity, enhancing accountability and oversight. Keeping um, poor providers out. Keeping poor providers out. And then also looking at pandemic, you know, emergency preparedness, because mm-hmm. that was an issue beforehand. And, you know, frankly, there's going to be another variant, or if we're lucky enough to not have another variant, there's definitely going to be another pandemic one day. And there's always mm-hmm. infectious disease issues in nursing homes. So that was really encouraging that there are so many different fronts. But with that, and I want to know what you think about this, is the concern of it is a, a big agenda. How are we going to make sure that we get this pushed through in this you know, relatively short period of time? That goes back to our listeners, really. I think it goes back to the reason why we have all been so committed to making this happen now. All of the stories that they've been able to share about their experience. And I will say it is residents, it is family members, and it's also the staff about what they have gone through And in a very unique way, I think that the pandemic did some things to strengthen this movement. Prior to the pandemic, we didn't have the means to meet like this. You and I never would have, um, we probably wouldn't have met or we would have seen each other at a, you know, one conference here or there, right? Right, right. But doing Zooms and Teams and recording things. And I would not have taken to Facebook Lives. I will be very honest, that probably wouldn't have happened. As and now well you're as, a tech maven. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a podcast. <laughs> but what I learned was that families, residents, staff, they all had these feelings, but we were like little islands, states as well. We were little islands. Our commissioner calls us small but mighty. When you have lots of small but mighty that finally get to come together and can see their strength and can see the number of people that this really impacts. And that's what the pandemic did. People started reaching out and being heard by uh, the legislature at a state and federal level. And that this isn't a partisan issue, right? Getting older, having a disability, needing care and services. This isn't partisan. Everyone heard. Exactly. Everyone heard from everyone. And so that's why I think all of these levers were being pulled at once because people were saying, we We can't have this level of spending with this level of upset. We must do something. We must do something now. And if we don't do something after everything we've seen, then we've really failed as a society. And And I was worried we'd get there. I mean, you know, frankly, with what we saw with Build Back Better, you know, it started to, it, it did start to seem that, you know, we would have all this high death toll and no real movement on changing the systemic issues that existed without a doubt. But right now, this is an indi- you know, the industry's nightmare. It, it, it is our dream and the industry's nightmare. We've heard from the American Healthcare Association saying that you know, if, if these nursing home staff standards have to go into place, every single nursing home in the nation is to go broke and close its doors. You know, it, it very dramatic language. What are your thoughts with this? I actually think we have some really good homes that do a lot of these things already. And they're not closing their doors because that's where people are going to choose to go and choose to spend their private dollars as well as their public dollars. And so 
I really think it should be a race to the finish to be the home that puts these standards in place first and can say that. And I, I actually hope there's a way either through CMS or a state site where we could say, these are the homes that have done it. These are the homes that have taken this on, that staff to this level, that have these quality indicators and outcomes, and this is their success rate, because who wouldn't want to be the resident there or a loved one there? And then we have to ensure that they have equal access to individuals of all socioeconomic backgrounds and yes. that it's not a pay to play sort of um, industry. That's why I really, I feel very strongly about the value-based um, payment and purchasing that nursing homes should be paid for the care they're providing. If you provide to a very high need population, then you should get a little bit of a higher rate. You're gonna need more staff. They're gonna need more time Absolutely. to give care. If they have a, a lower care need, then you're still providing for them, but you may not need that same uh, base rate. So I think a lot of amazing thought and consideration went into the seven pages, but I don't think it came out of nowhere. I think these are things that have been slowly moving forward. Up, and it's kind of like um, a snowball rolling downhill, right? It's mm -hmm. just been picking things up as it's gone. And now as you're speaking to the industry, it's a huge snowball and it's rolling. Hopefully it doesn't stop. I, I agree. I hope it doesn't stop, but the industry itself is a huge snowball in the mm -hmm. sense that, you know, they are big and powerful and, you know, on the warpath in a way. So how do we make sure that they don't prevail in the mm -hmm. end? Because it's, it, this is an uphill battle. This is hard. It's going to be hard. There's a, there's a lot here. So when you talked about the constituent voices. I mean, what are you recommending? I mean, who who are who should we who should we reach out to? Is it just reaching out to our members of Congress or writing to the White House? I mean, how how do how do we get our voices heard? Because you're right, our voices are so powerful, even though we don't think they are. Exactly. And I think it's all of those things, right? I think it started with this little group of family members, right? Our our nursing home resident family members who wrote protecting them to death. And who knew that a group of family members could come together like that and meet people from other states and come together on a national level where they've produced a book that yes. then was sent to our national lawmakers to say, oh no, wait, we voted you into office. This, These are our concerns. And so I think the voting power and calling for that transparency Transparency is going to be key because you're talking about the industry, right? You're asking, how do we make sure that that snowball right, of an industry doesn't roll over us? Exactly. And I think it's exactly that. It's calling for that transparency and saying, who are the owners? Who am I dealing with? And that's something you should know about in your nursing home. I'm going to guarantee most residents and family members, they know who the administrator is. They may know who the company is, but who is that owner and what other companies does that owner own and how are they benefiting from me being here? And, and when we talk about just like who makes the decisions within the nursing home, because if 
owned by a large corporation, oftentimes those decisions are made top down by people who've never even stepped foot in that facility and don't know the people and don't know the individual circumstances versus the smaller mom and pop owned or nonprofit facilities where they're living in the facility there. I mean, in, in the sense of they're working inside the walls. So they know what the needs of the residents are and what the needs of the staff are personally. So I, I agree with you. That's very much needed. I am curious. There, there was one point in this seven-page beautiful layout that jumped out to me, which was reduce resident room crowding. And, and there were studies that came out uh, in, during the time of, you know, when COVID was at, was at its height, when they were saying that, you know, and it's logical, the more people in the room, the, the higher rates of COVID transmission and the higher death rates, right? Do you think... It, it went far enough. I mean, because it more or less kind of said it in passing, like reduce resident room crowding. Okay. How, when mm-hmm. there, there wasn't as much of a timeline. What are your thoughts around that? So I know that that's a goal here in Connecticut and ah. people are going to laugh when I say that. So we had administration move forward on this really quickly. And then I was the one raising my hand saying, uh, wait, hold on. We've, we've got a few steps here. And so people can't see Cinnamon's face, but I can see it. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> so our commissioners of public health and social service said that we needed to really get rid of the three and four bedrooms because mm-hmm. these are old, especially when it comes to dignity and um, autonomy, being able to control the space around you and have privacy, all of those things that are a resident right. However, to just do that. And they had nursing homes have to come forward and say how they were going to get rid of their three and four bedrooms. Did message back and say, but wait, there's people in those beds who have rights to that room, to that space. And so we have to make sure at every step of this that we are including the resident, that we're honoring all of their rights. Some individuals, that has become like a family situation to them. And they didn't want to leave the three-bedroom. Or who was the one that was going to be left out? Oh, interesting. And how was that going to be decided? So we asked that, yes, I want to see that move forward. Yes, I Mm -hmm. think for infection control, dignity, privacy, um, everyone be offered, but that it be offered and then appropriate notice be given. And that we follow all of those important steps that we put in place to move in that direction and through attrition or through um, people electing, right? Like, so raise your hand if you'd like to go to a semi-private or private room. Move those guys first. And let's get there with the residents instead of for them. And and that is why you have the job you have. Because <laughs> I, what you said is on point. And you're right. I think this was an assumption I was making as well, is just that, you know, who uh, the assumption is like, well, who would want a roommate? And you're saying, well, wait a minute, maybe some people do. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people use that as, you know, their friends. So, you know, it, it came up. And so I do think there were a few people like, wait, what are you the one saying? Like, <laughs> maybe don't, I'm like, I didn't say don't do it. I said, but we need to remember that this is the home of individuals that um, we provide care and support for. And so making sure that they're included in those conversations. And to that point, we've had some homes that have asked to make room changes due to staffing crisis. 
And uh, that's yeah. not something we support or allow. But then when you step back and think about it, all right, so do I want that person not to get care because there's not enough staff on? And so it really meant going back to the residents and saying, and we messaged this to the nursing homes, go back to your residents and family members and say, how do you think we could do this better? If we only have, if we have residents spread out between three and four units, but we could fit everybody in two bedrooms on two units and have it better staffed and safer, what would you like us to do and how would you like that addressed? We had a home where the residents and family members decided that two units were a better option. And they'd hmm, rather move and know that they could have the care when they needed it versus being spread out. And it's about being included in the conversation, I think. I mean, really essentially person-centered care. It's what but it's, it's person-centered <laughs> person, but it but the challenge is it's person-centered care essentially in a person's home for the people who are long-term residents. And and it's hard, I think, to balance the clinical and just the the home aspect mm-hmm. of it as well. And to honor the fact that in talking to the administrator and the DNS in that building, they weren't trying to do anything wrong. They, mm-hmm. they thought they were making it, okay, we're going to make sure residents have the care they need. We need to consolidate so that they, they were doing it for all of the right reasons and with the best intentions. But to the resident, it felt like, why are they doing this to me again? I just moved six times because of COVID. When you feel a lack of control and that autonomy is when you get that pushback. But when you explained the situation and what was happening and why there were these different options being proposed, you had the aha moment of residents being like, oh yeah, well, yeah, I'll, I'll go because yeah, I want to be able to get a hot dinner. And, and what you're saying, I mean, when we, when we started this conversation about what does it take to get your voice heard or how do we push this Biden administration, these federal, this federal agenda through, we talked about reaching out to your lawmakers. One thing that you've talked about here, it's it's the stories, right? You know, that mm-hmm. essential caregivers book they had for like, I think they had like each state Every and, state. Then, and then a, a person was profiled on their story mm-hmm. and the passion behind it. And what you're saying too right now, it's illustrating the fact that there are human beings behind the walls and that they their voices cannot get lost. And how do we amplify them? And how do we get the constituent voice to amplify their loved ones' voices and needs to ensure that this agenda moves forward. Because at the end of the day, this is a very, very profoundly important agenda for the nation. Absolutely. And so much so that we, so here in Connecticut, we have an executive board of presidents of resident council. Mm-hmm. And I was talking with them and we were kind of talking about that. How do we ensure that people know who you are and what you need and that you want to be included in this conversation? whether it be in the nursing home at a state level or a federal level. And one of the things that came up was doing some, and we may do them, some promos of residents saying, you think you know who lives in a nursing home. You think you know what their needs are. Well, that's me. I'm the person that wants you to come care for them. I'm the person that wants good quality. I'm the person that wants to make sure that there is value to the dollars being spent and accountability and reshaping or refocusing the way that the public think about nursing homes, long-term care communities, and who lives there um, and what their needs are. 
And so I, I think if we do that and we kind of shine the light in a different way, and yes, there are individuals who have memory care concerns. There are mm-hmm. individuals who have extended health needs and, and long-term health needs, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the ability to actively and participate in a meaningful way about how they want their life and their day to go, um, as well as policies and procedures. Yeah, that would be wonderful. And I mean, essentially also, let's take away the assumptions because I think a lot of people, when you're removed from the situation, you have all these assumptions about what's going on or what the needs are. Or of course, like me, you would want your own room. And and let's <laughs> and let's hear from the actual residents. I think that's wonderful. And you'll see that. So these bills that we've been talking about, we talked about last week and mm-hmm. um, related to the President's the price um, control. address, oh. all of these things, the price control, look at the testimony. And I was so proud that we actually had residents that one, either virtually testified and used that power that they got last session to do that. And then also submitted testimony, um, residents and family members. And I think we're seeing a higher rate of that because of the pandemic in a way that we've never seen before. And that's what I want to see at a federal level. So yes, right to the White House. We have links to our page through the National Consumer Voice on where to write, how to write, reaching out to um, your senators, your congressmen and women, and ensuring that they know that just because our masks are off doesn't mean that everything is back to normal and good, that there is still a crisis here and we still need to address it. Absolutely. And we cannot repeat the tragedy that we've seen in our nation. And I think it's really easy to forget, but we cannot Mm -hmm. forget. I'm sure you and I will have more conversations about this. And just so people know, we are going to be focusing on, so we are in legislative session. And so because of that, that's why we are focusing um, more on legislation on the podcast most recently. Um, And we'll be talking about at a national level, what we continue to see and hear um, coming from the White House I know that the president's administration is doing a lot of meetings, so please sign up to participate in those meetings. Um, That way you get firsthand information. And there's also the opportunity to send questions directly in. So if they're going to be having a forum and you have a question, send it in. See if you can get them to answer it directly. And I think those questions will also shape their thinking as to what's necessary and what people want to see. So I encourage everybody to do that. It's really impressive that the administration is really reaching out and listening to the voices out there. And then they would hear your dog. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, wait, Mairead, was that, was that, was he, was your dog agreeing with me? I think he's agreeing with me. (laughs) Believe me. He wants that accountability too. For people who listen to the podcast, they, they hear it. He he clearly says there's a, there's a cat, cat Charlie on the street and he, he does not. He's not a Charlie fan. Well, so. your dog sounds like he's about 100 pounds, and my yes. dog is 12 pounds. He's like basically a dog-cat hybrid. So I, I don't hear those kind of barks very often. He is about 100, 100 pounds of baby. He was just over here a minute ago nudging me to, um, you know, he's like. Uh, he's he's ready for the podcast to end, right? It's dinner time. He's like, okay, mom, it's dinner time. So with that, I want to thank people for being here today. Cinnamon and I will continue this conversation. And um, Cinnamon, let's think about who else we can have join us because there's so many individuals out there, maybe uh, Lori from Consumer Voice, uh, to really think about who they're hearing from 
um, what they're hearing people um, want to see, as well as maybe our president of NASOP, which is the National um, State Ombudsman Group, who's Mark Miller. Oh, wow. So maybe yes. we can get a couple of people on and have a conversation about this. And I actually might want to open it up on a Facebook Live and have family members and residents be able to message in and ask us questions directly. Let's do that. And we have another positive uh, affirmation for that. Great idea, Mairead. Oh, <laughs> What's your goodness. dog's name? I need to, I need to know my friend in here. <laughs> His name is Finn. Finn. Finn? Actually, Thank Finn. you, Finn. Yes, this is Finn, and it's actually not the um, cat I now see. It is the mailman. So, oh, oh gosh. wow. <laughs> We should all have a Finn in our life. Well, thank you, Finn, for approving of everything we've said. <laughs> exactly. And and thank you all. So, Cinnamon, I will be in touch. We'll arrange those other um, conversations. And, you know, for individuals listening to the podcast, if you have um, questions related to anything that we've talked about or topics related to legislation and what we're seeing come out of the White House, please uh, write in and or leave us a message on our Facebook page for the Connecticut Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program, and we'll we'll get back to you. All right. So thanks, Cinnamon, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mairead. Looking forward to our next conversation.